When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 50, and we are recording on March 19th. Today, we're doing our second ever book club episode on Dune by Frank Herbert. I'm Jen Worthington from Book Riot, and here with me is special guest, author Asma Zahana Khan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about my favorite book. Yay! <laughs> yes, I I found out that this was your favorite book when you did a recommended episode uh, on it, which I will drop a link into the show notes. Um, but one of the things I loved hearing about was how this influenced your own writing. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you write. So I write a, a fantasy series called The Horizon Archives, and it's a four-book series. There's two books out, The Blood Print and The Black Thought, with two more still to come. But yes, um, the series was definitely influenced by a very early and young reading of Dune in the sense that I loved the complex and layered world building. But I also loved um, Frank, the author Frank Herbert's frequent reference to the Arabic language and sort of an Islamic or Middle Eastern landscape. I mean, the world of the Crown and the world of Iraq is very much reminds me of Arabia. So all of those things, and also the power of the women in the story, um, particularly the Betty Jesseret with their strange machinations and secret powers and their control over the voice was something I thought about a lot when I was writing my fantasy series. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I could definitely see all of those elements at work there. Very cool. So let's see. So I was thinking that we should each give a little bit of our personal background with Dune. And so I I first read this book as a teenager and I actually had not reread it in years before we started prepping for this episode. And so, and I confess, actually, I thought like for sure I would have enough time to finish it, but I forgot how long it is because my mass market seems so slim, but that font is really tiny. Um, right. And so I'm like, I have like a hundred pages left to go, but I feel, I feel prepared regardless. Uh, and it was a really interesting experience rereading it, having like probably 20 some years between this time and the last time. But you, I think you reread it as you read it as a kid, but have reread it since then. Is that right? Yes, I reread it frequently. There was a time when I was rereading it once a year, just because it's one of those really exciting, but also a comfort read for me. So whenever I want to just completely escape, I vanish into the world of Dune. And I was also hoping that I would get the chance to reread it before the podcast today. But then I realized I read it like at least 30, 40 times. So I'm probably okay. Yeah, I think you're probably fine. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing to me, though, coming at it with an adult brain. There were all these things that I just didn't know about the context of as a teenager that now I was just like, oh, yeah, like uh, eugenics is such a strong theme in this book. And I wouldn't say that it's exactly held up as admirable but it also is not necessarily like this is terrible like you're like oh this is more this is more complicated than i remember it being it's not just like a hero story it's like no paul atreides is the 
is the product of generations of selective breeding by the Bene Gesserit. And I was like, wow, that's something that just went right over my head as a teenager. I did not grasp that at all. Same thing for me. I mean, the first time I read it, I was 13 and it was just a straight out adventure story with these notes that I recognized um, from my own background. But apart from that, I really had no capacity to read it with any critical thinking skills or um, with a sense of the deeper themes or what Frank Herbert was trying to accomplish in the book. Or now, having looked at quite a bit of the critique about the novel, uh, understanding that it could also be framed or has also been seen as a white savior narrative. And there's, of course, there's this issue of eugenics. And I think it's totally fine that... um, The author doesn't sort of leave any kind of judgment about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. It's a topic that he's exploring in the context of this world and this story. And I think what you make of it is really up to the reader. Um, It's fascinating to me, but I will note that one of the things that struck me in that was this idea that uh, the person who's able, the the Benny Jesuit breeding program is designed to achieve this this creature called the Kwisatz Haderach, who will be able to access the minds and the histories of all people over time, men and women. But through all their selective breeding program, they're not able to achieve that same thing. And this is a powerful order of women. They're not able to achieve that for women. So women can only look into the history of women, but men can access both. So that on recent readings has really troubled me, but I think it's interesting as well. But I I think it might say a little bit about Um, sort of patriarchal themes in the story too. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I came across, uh, there was a great post that we both read um, called uh, Why It's Important to Consider Whether Dune is a White Savior Narrative. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. And it talks, there's this this little moment where the author talks about uh, the idea of like perhaps Polytreides or the Kwisatz Hadrach could be like a non-binary person. And my like, like, it's like a little light bulb I was like, oh, that would be so interesting. And so I was looking for that when I was rereading. And there is a little note, um, like there's a little line on page 13, and I, that's the page number in my copy that talks about this sort of idea that, you know, the Kwisatz Haderach will be able to inhabit both male and female consciousness and, and like genetic history. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that be just such an interesting twist on this very gender binary story? Like what if, what if there was, you know, I as a modern reader can like put my expanded understanding of of gender into that and like what a cool twist that would be um so that kind of and now i'm just like i have i have like a list basically of fanfic about dune that i want someone to write for me so i can read it and one of those is a non-binary is <laughs> a non-binary paul <laughs> and, and i think that would lend itself so well to this world too. Right? i don't think that that's not much of a stretch considering how he's constructed this idea of the quisats haderach and the all-powerfulness of it. So then why couldn't it, of course, transcend gender? It should very easily be able to. Right. Um, It occurs to me that we should do a quick rewind and give a brief synopsis of this book uh, for those of you who maybe are just curious about it but have not actually read it or perhaps multiple times the way that we have. Um, So this is a story, well, it's the first in a very long series. I've actually only read this first one. Um, And it follows uh, a boy named Paul Atreides. He's 15 whose father is a duke who has been sent to take over this desert planet called Arrakis. And uh, it is basically a political trap. There's a terrible Baron Harkonnen who has this whole conspiracy plan. And... um, 
And so they're being sent into what they know is a trap, uh, but they think they can figure out their way out of it. And of course, the body count in this book is very high. I will just tell you that without any specific spoilers, although we will give spoilers later. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Paul finds himself sort of taking on the role of this prophesied figure that we keep referring to, the Kwisatz Haderach, and, you know, rallying a people that has lived on this planet to his banner and sort of becoming this very powerful figure in this universe. And this is the story of how he gets there. And, uh, and his mother is part of this order of women called the B'nai Gesserit who have been, you know, manipulating breeding lines and politics from behind the scenes for a very long time. They have special powers. They're really fascinating and interesting. Uh, so that's, is that, and oh, and there's the spice. Of course, we can't forget the spice. The reason this planet is so valuable <laughs> to everyone is that it produces this substance called the spice that is both a poison and a drug and gives people additional powers. Um, and it's very, very valuable in this world. And everybody wants to control the spice. Did I, was that pretty good? That was so good. Because whenever I'm asked to summarize a book, including my own, I'm completely incapable of <laughs> boiling it down and getting the main plot across. So that was quite brilliant. Well, I'll, thank just you. That, I'll just add that the spice gives the people who are able to master the use of it, the ability to fold space and time. Right. And then the question that I have for you next that I would love to talk about is sort of this question of representation, because there are a lot of Arab and Islamic elements in Dune. And this is very relevant to the conversations that are being had around the movie, which is coming out in, I believe, while well, they're starting production now, who knows when it will actually come out. And they're doing casting, which is which was the impetus, actually, for this whole episode. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your take on that representation. Sure. Um, so as I said, one the first few times I read it, this didn't even strike me. And in fact, um, when I read it the first time, I remember this feeling of joy because I was seeing themes and language and uh, a landscape that I knew very well. It represented to what, in a way to me that felt powerful and uh, positive and magical and uh, full of mystery and intrigue. So all of those to me came across as really beautiful things. And in a space where there was virtually no representation of um, anything that I would identify with, I found it really, really wonderful and, and um, joyful as an experience as a reader. And now, of course, having reread it so many times and looking at it with a new lens, uh, yes, I'm very conscious that this should be or could be read as an imperialist story because that's precisely what it is. Empire expanding to new planets and colonizing those, that planet's resources and making use of its people for its own ends. So that's a theme that all people who are from a colonized heritage would view in a way that, you know, they can identify it, they can critique it, and they don't necessarily see it as empowering. In fact, they see it as the opposite. But I still read that language and that story in a very positive way, because until I saw the movie, um, the movie that starred Kyle McLaughlin, I'd never automatically slotted uh, white actors into or or white people into the roles of the into the roles of the book. I always tried to envision it from my own community and could see myself in that landscape. Um, so, so in in the sense that the story can be read as Paul and House Atreides coming to Arrakis and colonizing a desert people who resemble Bedouin Arabs more than a little, um, and then turning them into these mindless creatures who serve his purpose rather than their own, although at times that purpose aligns in the sense of transforming the planet ecologically from a desert landscape to one that has sufficient water because water is the most precious and prized resource, which is 
I think, a pretty clear analogy to oil in the story. Um, so if you look at it through that lens, then you, then you think, well, you know, how come these this Arab, this Arab people who are such fierce warriors or this, this, these Fremen people who are such fierce warriors, how come they couldn't, uh, why did they need rescuing essentially from House Atreides or from Paul and his mother working together? And then what does it say when this, this proud and fierce people are transformed into just mindless followers? And there's this line in the book where there's this character called Stilgar, who's the leader of his people, of the Fremen people. And the way he's portrayed in the book, he's intelligent, he's canny, he's shrewd, he's self-sacrificing, he's handsome, he's sexy in a way because he later has a relationship with Lady Je- Jessica. Um, and he's he's obviously presented in this way where he doesn't need anyone to rescue him. He's more than capable and he's been leading his people to this, and they've envisioned this future for themselves where they are able to bring water back to the surface, sufficient water for the needs of the people and sufficient water for survival. And yet once he has this encounter with the Atreides, over the course of it, when he sees the the Paul's use of the voice to to sharpen the fighting skills of the Fremen and turn them into a, an army formidable enough to defeat the Harkonnens who've taken over the planet and are ruling it cruelly and rapaciously, he's no longer that same strong, analytical, self-ruling figure who's a symbol to his people. He becomes, I think there's even a line in the story where Paul sees that Stilgar has become a creature rather than a friend. So, you know, that's, of course, something that we should be critiquing and looking at analytically and being aware of these things in the story. And I think reading it with these layers, and I, and I do find that problematic. And it, um, sorry, my answer is so long, but there's just one more thing I wanted to add, which is that as you go on through the books and you read the whole, you know, you get to to the very end of the six book saga. What you see is that once Paul has harnessed the power of Arrakis and he's got the Fremen as his death legions, he then goes through the universe, unleashing havoc and carrying out this, what, what is in the book, the language of jihad is used. Mm-hmm. So it, in the series, it ends up killing, Paul's jihad ends up killing, I think, something like 12 million people or millions of people at any rate. And um, it's done in this fanatical way where where Paul and his talents, he becomes this mystical messiah type of figure. So now the legions that follow him are just fanatics. They're not thinking people. And in his name and in the name of his religion, they then go on to do this kind of crazed killing throughout the universe. So it's not really, I think if you read the series all the way through, you don't see Paul as heroic. You see him as this conflicted, highly problematic figure who has an agenda and goals of his own, and he's willing to um, wreak carnage in pursuit of those goals. And so I think that sort of sets back that narrative quite a bit and helps to critique it. But what I don't like about it um, in, in a way that I found offensive is that I think Frank Herbert's understanding of jihad was quite shallow hmm. because it's presented as a tool of violence, whereas people who follow the religion of Islam understand it, do not understand it in that way. But of course, all of our most sacred language and concepts have been reappropriated and redefined for us. And we see that in the Dune series as well. Yeah, I have thought about that too. I took some Arabic in college and, you know, along with it, did some studies in into Arab and Middle Eastern and Islamic history. And now when I read this book with that knowledge and lens, I, I can see sort of the appropriation of these words and the the 
changes in definition and, you know, the license being taken. And, and so I hope that, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast, especially with you is because I did, I think there's so many Western readers who just like, it might as well be Elvish to them. They don't know. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it's, if I'm being frank, like as a teenager, it, it might as well have been Elvish for all I knew. Like I was sheltered and I grew up in, you know, suburban New Jersey and not to say that there weren't people of color and Muslims in my community, but I didn't know anything about that. And, uh, and so, you know, I like, I, there's so much more here to talk about and I'm so glad that we can, we have this opportunity to talk about it. Me too. And I think really, even with my comments, I'm just scratching the surface of what's there because of course, Islam and Arabia are not the only things that he relies Mm -hmm. upon. Frank Herbert relies upon. There's a lot more there and it's, it's all very cleverly constructed and so layered. Um, But also it's open, I think, to readers critique. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the movie that's coming up. So Denis Villeneuve is uh, directing it. And the casting news has just been like, it's kind of bananas, actually, <laughs> because it, it feels like a little bit of a grab bag of actors. They're just like, you get a role and you get a role and you get a role. And I like a lot of these actors. You know, Zendaya, for example, is in talks to play Chani, who is Paul's love interest in one of the Fremen um, and Jason Momoa has been talked about as Duncan Idaho and, you know, Oscar Isaac for Duke Leto. And it's just like, gosh, I don't even like the, none of it matches up to my internal vision of the book at all, like personality oh, I, wise or visually. What is going on? Like, I love all these actors individually, but I just don't know about this, these specific casting decisions. Um, and so you and I have done some fan casting uh and i would love to hear uh let's see how wh- where do you want to start i mean where do we even start there's so many characters that we have cast i love by the way i can see you know we have a little list going and i love some of these choices and i also love that we picked some of the same actors but for different roles <laughs> but know, we didn't even cast internally we didn't cast them <laughs> equally so okay. um, well, let's, let's start with duncan idaho because okay. the announcement of uh, jason momoa being cast in that role i think struck us both yes as that's a that's a great actor i'd love to see him in anything but i just don't see him as duncan idaho because in the books duncan is the you know he's a strategist he's an assassin he's a bodyguard he's suave he's handsome and they always send him to guard the ladies because he has a particular way with the women so and and he his that character i think requires quite a bit of subtlety and Yes, subtlety. Just as fabulous as Jason Momoa is, yes. I don't see him as subtle. No, same. Um, his subtlety is not the first word I think of when I think of Jason Momoa. <laughs> but I do find him incredibly handsome. Obviously. So, that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking a good choice there would be um, Daniel Day Kim because mm-hmm. he has that kind of sleek, sophisticated look, and I could totally see him as a ladies' man. And then I was also thinking about this story that had gone around on Twitter a while ago about this very handsome. Um, and also very skilled bodyguard in real life of the South Korean prime minister, who um, his name is Choi Young-jae. So I thought he'd be a great choice. I don't know if he has any acting chops. And then there's a really famous um, Pakistani actor by the name of Fawad Asul Khan, who's very handsome and is an excellent actor and I think could portray all the nuances of this character. So those are my choices. What about you? I Well, I will say I love... 
Daniel De Kim and Fouad Khan for this role. I like they're both so fantastic. When I saw that you had put those down, I was like, oh yes. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with Choi, <laughs> but like those two, I was like, absolutely. Either of those could be Duncan Idaho. Um, I picked Dev Patel actually for this. I just love watching him, and I feel like he is a bit of a chameleon, and he has sort of a quiet grace about him. And I thought he could pull it off. Uh, I think that's a great description of him. He does have that quiet grace, and he has. The- those deep dark depths to his eyes yes. as well. Yes. But I thought of him as as well suited to um, Paul's nemesis, this nephew of the Harkonnen family, Fade Rafa. Um, I thought he'd make a, a great fighter and a great, and, and I can also see him doing the arrogance required in that character. That was so interesting. I, I did see that you had put that and I was like, oh, that is fascinating because I actually, I moved Timothy Chalamet, who has been cast as Paul, <laughs> to Fade Rotha because I was like, no, yes, he, he'd be a way too. better Fade Rotha than he'd be a good <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Because, yeah, that character is very sort of arrogant and uh, self-satisfied, but also dangerous and charming. And, you know, I feel like Chalamet could totally pull that off. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's a good choice, too. Yeah. I, I've been going back and forth on Duke Leto. I, I, I like I have come around a little bit to Oster, Oscar Isaac. I, I have oh, to say, <laughs> I know, you know, he is a little on the he's on the young side for that role, I think. Um but it's he's just so talented. He really is just so talented. And as I was rereading the book, I was like, can I imagine Oscar Isaac in that role? I was like, I actually kind of can. Like the Duke is, you know, he's very he's very good with his men and he knows the right words to say at the right time. And he's, you know, he is a strategist and he's also sort of a, a salt of the earth kind of person um, in a certain way. And I was like, I think I think Oscar Isaac could do that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean he's a fantastic actor, and I love him in everything and every role that he plays. And you're right, he is a he is a bit of was I was it him that you were calling a chameleon or death? Yeah. I, think of, I was thinking I think of Oscar Isaac as a as a bit of a chameleon that he can really disappear into any role. Mm-hmm. But for me, the sticking point was that he just seems too young. Yeah. And Duke Leto is actually I think probably my second favorite character in the book. I love him as a character. I love his nobility, his dignity. And the fact that he's so quiet in his goodness and his ability to influence his men. And that's why his men are so loyal to him. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I loved most in the whole series is, you know, the the passion that the Atreides house feels for its leader. Um, so I was thinking of someone with more gravitas, a bit older. Mm-hmm. And the actor I thought of was um, Naveed Negaban, who's, a, I think, an actor of Iranian background. He played Abu Nazir in Homeland, which is not the greatest role, but he brought so much to it, so much depth and nuance and and creativity and those fiery eyes of his. I could really see him also playing this measured, calm, grave, but uh, sort of inflexible on his principles type of character like Duke Leto. I think he'd be great in that role. I did look up a picture of him. I'm not familiar with him, but I saw immediately how it could work. Like he does have, like you said, gravitas. And I was like, oh yes, I can, I can absolutely see that. Um, Let's talk about Jessica because after seeing your picks, I retracted mine. I was like, no, these are, (laughs) these are much better than anything I came up with. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have kind of a fondness for all these like, actors of Iranian or Persian background. So I love Nazneen Banyadi. I've seen her in, in a lot of shows, including Homeland. I think she's she, not only is she stunningly beautiful, but she's also got that she could she can really she can really portray pain well. Mm. And there's so much sorrow and loss in Lady Jessica's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also very smart and manipulative and 
and scheming kind of woman who sees her own project and is guiding her son with a very sure hand in it. And, and she's very loyal to her order, but she's not afraid to defy them. So she's got all these dimensions to her as a character. And yet that love between Duke Leto and Jessica is such a pure and beautiful thing. Um, and that's really why she chose to have a son instead of a daughter as commanded for, for Duke Leto's sake. Um, so I think Nazneen Baniati could play that role really well. And I also really love Sarah Shahi because she gives this vibe off all the time of being a real badass that can take anyone in any situation another absolutely beautiful woman but also i think both of these actresses have the ability to carry a role but that's that heavy and requires so much emotional development from beginning to end yeah i saw sarah shahi's name and i was like oh you nailed it like that's just it is just perfect she's so elegant but she has such depth and complexity to the characters that she plays like she would just be she would be so good um let's talk about paul you know since we're short on time i want to make sure we hit (laughs) The biggest ones, but let's talk about yeah. Paul, who is so hard to cast, right? Because it's it's like, you know, he's 15 in the book and he's been mm-hmm. played by these 20 something actors, historically all white, uh, when it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I, I know I struggled with finding, you know, somebody who I thought would be the right style, as it were. Um, so let's I would love to for you to talk about some of your picks here, too. Okay, so this was the role that I had the hardest time Mm -hmm. casting in my mind. I I really couldn't think of a suitable actor, but um, I thought, okay, well, since we've been talking about June as this kind of white savior narrative, um, someone coming and colonizing a Bedouin-type people, why don't we flip that around? So I started looking for young Arab actors, and I came up with um, David Mazouz, who's 17, and of Tunisian background, and he plays Bruce Wayne, or the young Bruce Wayne on Gotham. So he's quite young then, but is older now. And another actor named Fadi El Sayed played Mo in My Brother the Devil. Um, I think either of those, just looking at their appearance and their youthfulness, could really grow into that role. Um, because Paul transforms so much from the beginning of the book to the end. He's got all his innocence at the beginning, his innocence, his love, his sweetness. And at the end, he's just this cold-eyed, calculating commander who's unlike his father. He's much more focused on the end goal, and and he will put his ambition before people. So the actor really has to be able to grow in that. But I'm not I'm not sure that I'm 100% satisfied with my choices. So what about you? Well, I was thinking about, okay, like if Oscar Isaac is playing Duke Lido, like maybe I should go look for a Hispanic or Latino uh, actor um, to, mm-hmm. to match that. And Marcel Ruiz has played The Sun on One Day at a Time, which sadly was just canceled and is a wonderful sitcom, really fantastic sitcom. Um, and he is like actually that right age to be sort of a gawky, like a true teenager who has to you know who is on the run from political enemies and has to give up this very sort of cushy i mean he's been well trained and prepared and his life hasn't been easy but he has never had he's never wanted for anything and now he's outcast in the desert and has to learn all of these new ways and figure out like who he's going to be and how he's going to deal with these new powers that he's finding in himself and and i i've loved ruiz um 
Although I've only seen him do comedy, so I don't actually know like what his drama chops are like, but he's been really great. Um, and then another actor I thought of is Diego Tinoco, who was on a show I love called Teen Wolf. Um, he was only in one episode, so I got very <laughs> limited exposure to him, but he has the look. He's a little bit older um, and could, yeah, in the same way that, um, you know, perhaps uh, Fadi Altaid uh, could, you know, bring that sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm a young man coming into my manhood like coming of age in this situation yeah right right and you're right in the movies they tended to cast much older actors i remember when i first saw Cone mclaughlin i was like what right how can can this be called i like him a lot (laughs) i was like this is not right so let me put in a a couple more plugs for two roles one the reverend mother Mm. it's it's so critical in all the game playing and king making in the story Uh, i think the perfect choice for her would be shore avdashlu she is, she's in The Expanse, and she's been on a number of shows. She was on, I think, the first season of 24, or the second season of 24. And she is fantastic. Like, you need a character who can really convey um, evil. Mm-hmm. And I think she'd be, she'd be great in this role. I can see her holding that box up and telling Paul to put his hand in the box and experience the pain so she can tell if he's human or animal. Her, her voice is so sexy and deep. I think she'd be great in this role. And I, my last plug that I want to stick in is for Paul's younger sister, Alia. And I thought the perfect choice to play her would be this young Canadian actor by the name of Sarah Chaudhry. And full disclosure, she's my niece, but she's fantastic. <laughs> she voiced the breadwinner and she's been in a number of different youth programs. She's great. So I think she'd be a good choice for Alia. I love that. I looked her up and she does absolutely have the look, I think, uh, that would be perfect for Alia. And I just want to shout out two of your other picks because I loved them so much. Um, you picked okay. Idris Elba for the Padishah Emperor, which oh, I found so perfect and delightful. That is is just that's just so fantastic i love it um and then for dr ua you picked michelle yo which i was just like mind blown like oh man <laughs> wouldn't it be great to flip that role it would be so great um and that's a that's a role that really requires somebody who has uh, depth and complexity because it is a traitorous role, but the reasons yeah. for the treachery are so deep and so compelling and so complicated. And I was like, oh, she would, she would just nail it. She would be perfect for that role. So I just, I loved that choice a lot. <laughs> oh, good, good. And, and since we were talking about casting um, and the fact that in the real casting, they haven't cast any uh, Middle Eastern actors, mm-hmm. I was thinking also the leader of the Fremen Stilgar. Yes. Alexander Siddiq would be such a great choice there i do love him i love him a lot um deep space nine fan from way back uh yes, but i do that's why i love him. yes <laughs> but i confess that i really love naveen andrews for stilgar i thought oh yeah that's a good choice he too. would make that's a really good right choice. like he has that yeah. vibe i feel like he could do uh a great job well i feel like we could talk about this for forever but i will let you go <laughs> we probably could, we could. <laughs> maybe someday we'll do a part two maybe when the movie comes out we'll have a review <laughs> hour <laughs> what we think yeah Yeah, we'll see um thank you again so much for joining us to talk about dune it was pleasure getting into it with you thank you thank you so much for having me and thank you all for listening you can email us suggestions for shows or your thoughts on dune casting or whatever at sffyeahatbookriot.com if you have a moment to review or rate us on apple Podcasts, that helps other folks to find the show and we love to see the feedback and you can find us online i'm mostly on twitter these days it's jen irl and that's jen with two n's irl and where can people find you um, they can find me on Twitter under 
at Asma Zahana. They can find me on Instagram at Books or my website, uh, which is just asmazahanacon.com. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.